Today's reading is from the book of John, chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Thanks for coming here on a very chilly, but they say it's going to get warmer Sunday. I think it needs to hurry because it's running out of time if it's going to get to 60. Um, but, you know, it's the weather, so... Uh, my name is Lisa Watson. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ City Church, and I'm delighted to get to be with you this morning and share from God's Word. Um, as Todd mentioned, we are in a series called Life, Death, and Life Again. Um, and this is the third, I believe, series um, that we've done. We've been journeying through the book of John for the last probably 16 to 18 months. And we're in this final section, and we're leading up to the story of Jesus' crucifixion and um, his death and his resurrection. And so we're talking over these next few weeks about life and death and life again. Uh, last week, Matthew uh, did a masterful job of preaching from John 12 and talking about purpose and how purpose has to have a process. And if you missed that sermon, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. Um, it, was, it, it was a good one. Not that they aren't all good, honey. <laughs> Okay, so um, we're going to do a turn and talk. Fair warning for all you introverts, prepare. We're going to do a turn and talk. Here's what I want you to talk about. Um, have you ever had a time when you have meant to maybe even volunteered for helping someone and then just, like, it, it didn't work out? It, like, failed or it didn't materialize, but you really wanted to, but then it just something happened and... and and you couldn't, okay? That's the story, just turn to your partner, you meant to, and it didn't work out, and share, and then we'll, I'll bring us back together in just a minute. 
Here's, here's what I'm hearing. This is what I'm hearing. I'm not alone. <laughs> I'm not the only one who has intended to help somebody, and then at the last minute, something didn't happen. I forgot. This is my story, because I'm not going to just ask you to share your story and then act like that hasn't happened to me. Um, I don't know how long ago it was, in the last probably year or so. I signed up, you know, we do these things here at our church where if a family needs a meal, then we send around a list and, you know, you can sign up to give a meal. So I really wanted to be helpful. I signed up to give a meal to Tommy and Melissa. Um, I think they had just moved, yes. And I was like, great, I put it on a night when I would remember and I was going to be cooking anyway and everything was going to be just fine. I was going to be able to help them have dinner, they had just moved. Nobody has an organized kitchen when you just move and nobody's thinking about cooking a meal. And I forgot. <laughs> I was like, oh no, that's pretty terrible. And I had every intention of doing it and I had made all the plans and then at the last minute, it just turned out to be a failure. Um, and I think that that's part of life, right? I think it's, um, it's unhelpful and it's, it's not fully honest for us to talk about serving and realize that um, it, it's not, I mean, it just isn't perfect every time. And we get to recover from things and we get to forgive each other. But I wanted to start with a story of failure because that's, that's the story of all of us, isn't it? Um, so we're gonna jump into the scripture, but one thing I wanna highlight before, uh, before we actually get into the passage is these next five chapters are what's called the farewell discourse. So John 13 through 17, um, it's called the farewell discourse because these are Jesus's last teachings to his disciples, his closest followers. It's the last sayings, it's the last things he wants them to hear before he, uh, before he goes back to heaven and is with his father. And so. This is a very important um, section of scripture. And part of what indicates that is that all of like the chapters previous, chapters 2 through 10, happen over the course of three years of Jesus' ministry. These last five chapters happen in one night. So it's a very detailed account of what he needed his people to know before he left them. So let's look at uh, John 13, 1 and 2. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now there's a way that I think we can approach this section that's like, oh, okay, we're going to read this passage and it's a, maybe like a little bit of a set of disconnected facts where we're maybe not fully into what's actually <laughs> happening here. The Passover festival was a celebration that was um, required by Jews to actually commemorate and celebrate. So everyone had come to Jerusalem. And in the city, there were people moving about who were getting ready for the Passover meal. So you can imagine, the streets were more crowded, the markets were more crowded, everybody was trying to buy their herbs and their lamb and all of that to celebrate the Passover festival. That's kind of the, the environment. It's a little more crowded and busy. And Jesus um, heads up to the last supper that he's going to have with his followers before, um, before his crucifixion. And so he's in this room. And, and I wonder if you can use your imagination. I think it's helpful for me to use mine. 
Um, if you can picture what it might be like in the Middle East, in Israel, in Palestine 2,000 years ago, where, we, where he's in this room, probably there's a dirt floor that's been sw swept by some kind of a stick broom. So it's neat and it's tidy. And there's a table in the center. And Jesus is there with his disciples. And he knew that this was his hour. He knew that his hour had come. And I wonder what that was like for him. What did he feel as he went into the room with his disciples that night? Was he relieved? Was he excited? Maybe he was thinking about going back to the Father and remembering how sweet that was to not have to wear the earthly skin of humanity. Maybe he was sad because he had loved his followers so deeply, and now he was getting ready to leave them. It's a very human thing, and I think it's easy for us to overlook that when we just read through the scripture. And I think it's really helpful for us to dig in a little bit at the beginning of this story to understand what the feel of the room was. And the scripture actually speaks to it. Jesus knew that the hour had come, for him to leave the world, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That word love there um, is the Greek word agape. That's an unconditional, never-ending kind of love. It's not a brotherly love. It's an unconditional love. So the feeling in the room was one of agape, one of unconditional love from beginning to end with no terms at all. There's a hearkening back to the incarnation of when Jesus actually put on skin and, and came into the world. And the love that brought him to the earth was about to be complete in the actions that he was getting ready to take. Where you see there in the passage that he loved them to the end. The Greek there is astelos. And that is at the end to the final. So from beginning to end there was always unconditional love. And as they're in the room this evening having their last dinner together. It's all about love, and it's about a kind of love that, that sacrifices. And that telos actually is a pointer to what Jesus will say when he is on the cross. His very last words, it is finished, to telestai. There's a, four, a little bit of a forepointing to what's about to happen. So in the very presence of evil, which you can, uh, I think that's in the next verse, in, in verse 3, where it says, the devil had already put in Jesus' heart, I mean Judas's heart, that he would betray him. So there was evil present. All of this was about to go down. Judas was about to betray Jesus. In the very presence of evil, there is unconditional, unending love. And it's a love that always was from the foundation and will continue to be the foundation of everything that happens in the world. And that actually is the first point of the, the message today is that love forms the foundation. Love forms the foundation. Secondly, knowledge informs the motivation. 
knowledge informs the motivation. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And he knew three things here. I'm, I'll just break it down. Jesus knew his authority. We see that where it says he, had put, he knew that God had put all things under his power. Jesus knew his authority. Jesus knew his identity, that he had come from God. See, there's the incarnation again. God made flesh. God made his dwelling among us. He had come from God, so he knew his identity. And, and Jesus knew his destiny. Now, like, you know how when you're putting together a sermon, like, you want to make it flow. Uh, authority, identity, destiny. And I don't love the word destiny because to me it sometimes feels a little bit like rainbows and pixie dust. Like, what's my destiny? Oh, my destiny is this. But if you think about the word that comes from destination, Jesus knew that he was returning to God and there was a purpose in it. So he knew, he knew his authority that God had put all things under his control and under his power. He knew that he had come from God. He knew his identity, and that was secure. And he knew his destiny. He knew his purpose. Matthew talked about it last week. It was light. It was life. It was salvation. Those were the purposes. And he knew his destination. He was going back to the Father. He was going back to eternity in heaven. And all of that informed what he was about to do. It motivated him to serve. And that shows us that he was willing. What he knew created a willingness in him that, um, that we see in verse 4. It says, So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, we don't really have a context today for foot washing. That's not something we do. We wear socks, we wear shoes, unless it's the summer, and we wear flip-flops. But we never, when approaching someone's house and walking across their doorstep, do we ever say, hey, let me wash your feet before you come into my house. We just don't do that. And back in, in Jesus' day, that job was done by someone who was a servant or a slave. Okay? Now, in, in this story, you'll notice that it didn't start with the foot washing. They had come into the room. Any one of them could have done the foot washing. In fact, because there was no servant there that day, nobody did it. Nobody did it. And as the meal was happening, Jesus decided, let me, let me help my followers understand what this kingdom thing is all about. This is a perfect moment for me to help them see and open their eyes to the fact that that leadership and teaching and, and being a part of the kingdom is about service. And so he took off his clothes and he wrapped a towel around his waist. He took the very posture and the very, even the clothes of a servant and he washed their feet. Jesus, in so doing, took what was detestable to the disciples and taught them that it was a necessity. If you're going to be my followers, this is what it means. You're going to give yourself. You're going to humble yourself. And you're going to do the things that other people just would, would not want to do. And so like Jesus, knowing our identity and our calling and our purpose frees us to serve and to be served. 
Jesus knew those things, and when we know those things, the authority that we have in God, the identity that we have in God, who we are and whose we are, and that we are actually um, someday returning to the Father just like Jesus did. All of that frees us to serve just like he did. Now, there's an element of vulnerability in what Jesus did, right? And, um, and I think if we're honest, it, it is hard for some of us to serve. Like, it's just not a natural fit for us. Um, humbling ourselves, doing things that we feel like we really ought to not do, you know, not have to do. Maybe for you it's like you don't want to have to take out the trash every day, you know, or wash the dishes or fold the laundry or just some of the stuff that we just do every single day. And sometimes it's bigger things than that. Um, there's a vulnerability in, in serving. But there's also a vulnerability in being served. Um, some of us are really good at serving. Like, it, it just feeds our souls, and we are really good at it. And then when it comes to us actually being served, it's a lot harder. Because that makes us have to confront the fact that someone is getting near to us, that we actually need help. And that's hard, too. There's a vulnerability in knowing and in being known and in serving and in being served and in loving and being loved. Years ago when, uh, when my life was a little more full of travel to um, places like Africa and the Philippines and Kosovo um, and Albania, people would ask me, do you think God's going to call me into like having to go to a faraway place? Like I was the missionary person that they kind of did and kind of didn't want to talk to. <laughs> because they were afraid. Because they were afraid of what God might call them to do. And I think that there's a vulnerability in that. When we get close to Jesus, some of us don't actually want to be that close because we're afraid he might ask us to do something that we don't want to do. And, and as we think about this sermon series around life and death and life again, um, the real truth is that sometimes Jesus does ask us to surrender things because they're not actually who we are and they're not actually what he wants us to be about. And he's asking us to surrender the things that keep us back from knowing him more fully, from being more fully who he wants us and who he has created us to be. Sometimes that can feel like a little bit of death. So letting go of dreams or visions or possibilities. It's a taking off of the mask for a little while and allowing Jesus to give us new eyes to see ourselves and what he wants from us and what he wants for us. So I think sometimes we try to avoid that vulnerability. And um, there's an Irish poet um, named David White. And 
he talks about like what it means to run from vulnerability and actually just outright says it's pretty futile to do that. Um, here's this quote, he says, to run from vulnerability is to run from the essence of our nature. The attempt to be invulnerable is the vain attempt to become something we are not and most especially to close off our understanding of the grief of others. More seriously in refusing our vulnerability, we refuse the help needed at every turn of our existence and mobilize the essential title and conversational foundations of our identity. In vulnerability, we become more of who we were meant to be. And it's an invitation of Jesus to put down some of those guards and to be vulnerable before him. I'd be remiss if, you know, I didn't actually mention Brene Brown, <laughs> the, uh, the great vulnerability expert of our day. Um, here's how she connects vulnerability to knowing our purpose. She says, vulnerability is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, and creativity. It is the source of hope, empathy, accountability, and authenticity. If we want greater clarity in our purpose or deeper and more meaningful spiritual lives, vulnerability is the path. Jesus exhibited vulnerability that night. He literally took off layers of clothes and I think symbolically was demonstrating he was willing to take it all off to give us what we needed. The disciples were also vulnerable. They let him wash their feet. They allowed their mentor, leader, teacher to serve them in a way that was very uncomfortable and countercultural. So the disciples did that, all of them, except Peter, who we love to. <laughs> We love to rag on, but we probably are very similar to him. This is Peter's response, verses 6 through 9. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, no, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord... Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Don't you love him? He's so all or nothing. I love Peter. And there's a way that we can look at this passage um, where, where, we, where we look at who knows what and who doesn't know. Well, Jesus knew his hour had come. Jesus knew where he had come from. Jesus knew the authority. Jesus knew his destiny. Jesus knew all those things. And Peter, what he knew actually was preventing him from serving and being served. Peter's knowledge is confronted. He didn't want or understand a servant master. No category for that. He's not having it. Jesus was upending social order and the definition of greatness, and maybe Peter preferred status quo. Maybe he had his eye on the ladder of upward mobility and notoriety, and this was not working for him. 
Maybe he just didn't know what the washing was for. So he says, you'll never, ever wash my feet, Jesus. And Jesus, in a very subtle but important way, says, if I don't wash you, he didn't talk about washing Peter's feet. He said, if I don't wash you, you're not going to have a part with me. The only other place in the book of John where Jesus uses this word of washing is when he's talking to the blind man, the man who had been born blind. The washing restores his sight, but also makes it possible for him to recognize who Jesus is. And in this passage, it's a washing to be made clean if the sense is washing away that which prevents us from full recognition of who Jesus is and what's about to happen. In a sense, the washing gives sight and recognition. He's not just interested in washing Peter's dirty feet. He's interested in helping Peter see him more clearly. And so Peter maybe begins to get it, or at least he doesn't want to get left out of being part of Jesus. And so he says, man, well, don't just wash my feet, wash my hands, wash my head, just go ahead and do it all. And Jesus responds with, you know, someone who's had a bath isn't dirty, doesn't need to be washed. But your feet are dirty. And it was about holiness, right? The message version translates it like this. If you've had a bath in the morning, you only need your feet washed now, and you're clean from head to toe. My concern, you understand, is, not whole, is, not, is holiness, not hygiene. This wasn't about just the hospitality of getting someone's feet clean. It wasn't about a hygiene thing. Jesus was saying this is about holiness. This is about sacrifice and about making things holy in us by allowing ourselves to both serve and be served. And I wonder for us today, are there parts of our lives that we don't want Jesus to touch? What are the places that he's trying to make you holy? Gaining deeper recognition of Jesus is part of washing too. Where is he beckoning you to be clean so that you can see him more clearly? Verses 12 to 16 brings us to the third point, is that service characterizes the delegation. Again, you've got to come up with words that sort of rhyme so that people remember them. And so this is a great way to contextualize. We have delegates in DC all the time. We all know what a delegation is. It's a, a group of people that belong to something for a purpose. Service characterizes the delegation. I know it's funny, but you're going to remember it. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. 
Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. He was saying, I've done this so that I can be an example for you. The word there also can be pattern. I've set a pattern for you. And it started when, well, it started a long time before they got in the room. But we know that this night started in a room, if you remember, that was filled with love, agape love. And then it also continued with what, what we knew, what they knew. And then it's service, love and knowledge and service. That's the pattern. At the beginning of this sermon, uh, we started with stories of failure. Um, but now I want to share a story of success. Um, I have a colleague, her name is Michelle, I love her dearly. I wish everybody knew Michelle. She's, she's so dynamic. She's so smart and she's so motivated and she's so excellent at everything she does. She is seriously phenomenal. She should wear a cape all the time because she's just that awesome. And Michelle had come to DC. Um, she was in the middle of probably 8,000 things because that's just who she is. One of those things was completing a book her very first book. And she had turned in a manuscript and they had sent it back to her. And so she was at the very end of this process where but at that point you're just like, I gotta get this done. I don't wanna write a book anymore. This is so terrible. And she was super frustrated. She had to do that, get in her edits on a, you know, on a deadline. And she just didn't know how she was gonna get it done because everything else had weighed on her and just kind of depleted all of her resources. And so I'm sitting at the Firehook up in Cleveland Park, out on the patio one morning. It was fairly cool. And she's telling me, I just don't know, Lisa. I've got all this, this, and this, and I've got to get the book done, and on and on and on. And I don't, you know, it didn't seem significant to me at the time that I would be having coffee with her, and I would be sharing with her, you know, Michelle, I think you're going to, like, you're really doing it. <laughs> it's not as bad as it feels. And the truth of it is, and I was actually running races at the time, and one thing that I had learned in my running was that, you know, we're stronger than we think we are. I had never imagined I could ever run 13 miles. But we're stronger than we think we are. And that was something that I was able to share with Michelle that day. You know, Michelle, if running has taught me anything, it's that we're stronger than we think we are. And I prayed for her, and I listened to her. And in a sense, I washed her feet that day. And after she left, she got on her plane, and she finished her edits <coughs> to the book. It didn't feel significant. I wouldn't have known it was significant except that she called and told me and that she ended up writing some small thing in her book about it. Beloved, this is what we do for one another. We wash each other's feet. We give ourselves away. We share our stories. We share our failures. We share Jesus as a way of reminding one another who he is so that our eyes can be opened so that our own eyes can be opened, so that other people's eyes can be opened to the beauty of our Savior. I'm about to run out of time. 
But I do want to close with three marks of a servant to help bring it home and make it practical. One is sensitivity. The ability to see beyond our own needs, sometimes that's hard. We get tired, and I'm not trying to see another problem i got to solve. But the mark of a servant is sensitivity, the ability to see beyond our own needs, beyond others' obvious needs, or their presenting problems. People come to us with a set of problems, but actually that's probably not the real problem. And a mark of a servant is someone who can see beyond that. beyond what is to what will be needed. The second mark of a servant is willingness, the desire to act, a heart of compassion, a reflex to be generous, and a choice to make it a priority. We've got to be willing. We've got to be able to see, and then we have to be willing to respond. And then finally, we have to have the ability God gives us all abilities, authority, identity, purpose, and destiny. God gives all of that to us. We have to have the ability to be able to serve well. That can be time. It can be money or things, maybe your car, maybe, you know, uh, a room to sleep in, whatever. It's, it's, it can be things that we share. It can be money that we give. Skills and education and training. Short story, I've had to update my resume re recently after 12 years of not doing that. <laughs> it's a lot, and I hate that. <laughs> and the truth of it is, I have people in this community who have spent hours with me, thinking through with me and helping me word and format and all of that. That's skills and education and training. And I have been served by our body this week, this very week. It can be healing in God's power. We all have that to give if we're followers of Jesus. Or maybe it's insight and wisdom. Just enough of what the Spirit says to you to just say, hey, I don't know how this is going to land on you, but here's what I think you might need to hear. The ability and the resources to give. So he set a pattern for us, love and knowledge and service. And service looks like ability and willingness and sensitivity. And then he finishes with this very interesting and encouraging phrase. He says... Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And I think that that's where we get back to the life again, right? The life and the death. And now that you know these things, even the vulnerable hard things, you will be blessed if you do them. So we're going to conclude our service in a way that we don't often conclude our service. Um, as a way of responding today, we're going to do a hand washing. Y'all are really glad right now we're not doing a foot washing, aren't you? <laughs> it's similar though, right? Back in Jesus' day, feet got really dirty. People served by walking here and there. And today we use our hands to serve more often than not. It's the very thing that gets dirty, that gets used, that we use really frequently to serve. And this is a demonstration of service to you 
from Matthew and I on behalf of the elders and the pastoral team. And as you have your hands washed, I'll explain logistics in a second, but, but I, want, I want you to consider, what's the invitation of Jesus to you this morning? Is he asking you to be vulnerable with him? Is he asking you to maybe give up something so you can serve someone this week? It's an invitation for you to, um, to do likewise. As you come forward and have your hands washed, I want you to think about what the invitation is for you. Do you need to serve somebody this week? Who and how? Do you need to be open to Jesus in a way that maybe you've been resistant to? And let him speak to some places in your life that you just haven't been willing to open up. Now, I know that it can be awkward to have somebody touching you that you don't know very well. Um, And that's okay. If you don't want to participate in this, that's okay. This is just an invitation. You don't have to come. You still can take communion, which will be happening. You still can go for prayer on either side of, um, of the room. Um, but we do want to create an opportunity for you to respond in this way this morning. So here's how it's going to go. I'll pray before we do all of this. But what you'll do is we'll have some stations right here. Matthew and I will wash your hands here. Um, and then communion can be taken closer to the prayer stations. And then if you want to receive prayer, of course, you can stop at the prayer stations and folks will be available to pray for you there. Um, we're not going to wash with soap. We're just going to wash with water and dry your hands. Um, and then you can, you, know, you can move back to your seats and we'll be worshiping through this whole thing. So um, I just would invite you to respond to Jesus in whatever way the invitation is being extended to you this morning. Um, Listen to the Spirit and respond accordingly. Let me pray for us.